Hello everybody, Ben here, welcoming you back to another episode of Talking Utilities. Today's episode, I was joined by Kevin O'Donovan. Kevin describes himself as a tech evangelist, and what that means is he's somebody who has been in the technology landscape for a long time and has pioneered a route into the energy and utility sector for various businesses. It was a very interesting conversation that we had. Kevin was talking about some of the most frequent mistakes that people make when looking to embark upon a journey of digital transformation. He gave us some insight into how important actually planning for your users are um, and how not getting carried away and implementing tech for tech's sake. And he also told us about what his hunch is for a breakthrough application for the blockchain platform. I really suggest that you guys take all this in and really enjoy it because it was a cracking conversation. I look forward to having Kevin on again in the future. So with no further ado, please enjoy Kevin O'Donovan. Kevin, thank you very much for joining me on Talking Utilities today. How are you, sir? You all right? I'm very good, thank you. And happy new year to you, Ben. Yes, and to you as well. Very excited that we could uh, sort of kick the new year off with um, with with somebody of your calibre on the podcast. So uh, for anyone who doesn't know you, Kevin, can you tell us sort of who you are and what you do? Sure. Um, so I'm the founder of a, a boutique consultancy company, uh, and I spend most of my time focused on the intersection of new technologies and how it impacts on the energy industry. Um, so I do a lot of technology workshops and advising companies, uh, startups. I speak at a lot of events and I do a lot of stuff on social media. And, and it's all about, I suppose, evangelizing about new technologies, but bridging the gap in terms of between all the hype about, you know, this is wonderful and it's going to save the world. Um, but all of these new technologies have features. <laughs> um, you know, they don't do exactly what they say on the tin sometimes. So it's, it's, it's with a, a bit of realism as to, well, how can this technology help you and what are other people doing it? using it for yeah what are the what are the tangible benefits to the user rather than just sort of seeing the newest shiniest thing and wanting to implement it into your business straight away exactly and and, and what works today and, and what is coming in the future you know some of the stuff may not be ready for prime time today but in three or four years time it's going to be part of the the woodwork right so yeah. um and you got to plan for that as well absolutely well i mean i think that i mean that to be fair is the it's kind of the the summation of um of what this podcast's all about you know where we're here to focus on innovation um and obviously not innovation for innovation's sake but look at as you say the present the near future and in some cases kind of what's a more blue sky um blue sky solutions within the sector can be as well. So, I mean, you know, I, I'm really pleased to have you on. I was really keen to um, speak with you. I first uh, came across you, Kevin, when I was sort of going through the the hashtags for, for European Utility Week um, last year, and you just seemed like the guy who was completely immersed within sort of tech in the energy sector. So um, how, how did that come about? What was the initial journey that got you to where you are today? So... I started out way back in, um, I'm an electronic engineer, so I graduated from the University of Limerick uh, back in 1990, so that'll kind of date me a bit. Um, just when the IT industry, for want of a better word, was, was starting to take off, and over the years I've worked with Compaq and HP at uh, European uh, technical sales roles. So I've always been engaged or involved in evangelizing about the latest and greatest technology, you know, whether it was client server or the latest computer chip or whatever. Yeah. Um, and long story short, I I joined Intel in um, 2004 
And around 2006, I was part of our worldwide team looking at new business development areas for Intel. Mm -hmm. um, and the whole energy industry started popping up. At the time, it was all about, are you a green company and energy efficiency and all this? And we started digging into it. And we started to realize that, you know, what we now know is the digitization of energy. You know, that, that wasn't a word back then, right? Um, but it was all about, they'll be adding compute and technology to all the industries, but particularly in energy. So that led us to start investing uh, in Intel on, let's say, more focus on the energy industry. Uh -huh. And around 2010, uh, I was asked to um, set up and lead our worldwide sales into the energy industry. So what we were doing there was taking the latest and greatest technology, because this was the Intel uh, model, was we'd, we'd have the latest and greatest technology from uh, Intel technology with our partners, mm -hmm. so the, the, whoever builds the boxes and the PCs and, and, and that. And we'd work with some of the leading energy companies around the world on having them try out the latest thing. And making it work for them, you know, so there was a lot of proof of concepts and pilots and first deployments. And the idea was, was that as the very large companies and some of the more innovative companies, sometimes they were small, but they would be innovative. Yeah. They'd start doing new things and the rest of the industry would be looking at them going, oh, wow, they took cost out because they deployed augmented reality or they're using drones. Now, when we started out first, you know, it was cloud and Wi-Fi and uh, tablets yeah um, and then it turned into you know high performance computing substation automation smart metering uh, that, that favorite topic <laughs> um, uh, people looking at uh, wearables for employee safety uh, augmented reality you said virtual reality drones blockchain all the cool stuff um, so so I spent as I say um, I, I finished up with Intel about 12 months ago so I spent the last eight, nine years working with new technologies in the energy industry. So I became, I became fascinated by the energy industry and the tr the amount of change that's going on there and the opportunity and a lot of frustration as well. But it, it's it's a fascinating industry. Absolutely. That's what, you know, that, that I think that's what attracted, attracted me to it first and foremost, really, was sort of how much potential there is for kind of a, a larger uptake in technology across the board. Um, I want to quickly ask Kevin, when you were talking about sort of back back at Intel and, and sort of having the best types of technology and suggesting it to some of these guys and sort of them making it fit, how, what, what did that process look like? Oof, um, it was sort of, yeah, I mean, in a, sorry, very high level. I mean, we don't, we don't need to kind of yeah, go no, into I, 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 and, and to be honest, it, it, it varies depending on the, the company mm -hmm. and the country, you know, I think when it comes to technology adoption, culture has a huge thing to play. And when I mean culture, it's not just different nationalities, but the culture of a company, you know, some companies are, let's say, more innovative or willing to take a risk than others. Yes. Um, but at the, at the end of the day, I was doing technical sales for, for many years. So you, you, you'd try and find, well, who's the decision maker or, or who's making the decision? Mm -hmm. And you would often find in utility companies um, or energy companies across the board, they do a huge amount of innovation. They have Many of them have large innovation groups, but a lot of it doesn't come to see the light of day in, in their production environments, if you like, simply because they don't want to take the risk. Um, and yet other companies will say, we'll take that risk. So 
there, there's no kind of, if I may, one, one cookie cutter. And, and mm. it also depends on what you mean by technology. You know, I, I spent most of my career focused on what you call the digitalization, right? So everything to do with IT. Um, and that's, you know, that's been a fascinating world. And, and the, the pace of change there now is just accelerating. But you also start, if you look at the energy, the utility industry, the, the chemistryization of energy is now a thing in my world. And what I mean by that is look at the amount of chemistry technology that's going into energy storage and batteries, yes. um, new materials. So there's lighter wind turbine blades, so I can build them bigger. Um, I can use, I have new solar panel materials that I can use. I have new chemical elements. Um, I have new superconductors, which could change the way transmission grids and generators work. So one of the things that we always used to have a, a, a fun debate with, with um, when I started getting into the energy industry was you still hear the term smart grid. Mm -hmm. And I personally used to try and make sure none of us used it for the simple reason was that you walk into a utility and you say, I'm here to make your grid smart. You're kind of implying that, well, it's dumb as doornail today. So you're stupid and I'm great and I'm going to tell you how to fix it. You know, that would be a short conversation. <laughs> you would you would be walked out the door pretty quickly. Um, <laughs> the, the utility industry uh, hasn't got enough credit. That's they're themselves to blame for some of it. In they're, they're, they've kept the, the lights on for the last hundred years. And the amount of complexity and technology that's already deployed in the grid to keep the lights on. You know, remember if a generator starts doing weird things in Eastern Europe, today in the European grid, that disturbance can be seen in Portugal in real time. You know, it's, it's and, and yet they can manage all of that down to the complexity of you simply turn on a light switch and 99.9% .9 of the time it, it works. Mm -hmm. um, so, so the... The utilities have been doing a huge amount with technology down through the years. I think the big challenge right now is technology is coming at them from all directions. Uh, you know, 10 years ago, you could easily define what a, a utility company was. And even within utilities, there was transmission system operators, DSO, the distri distribution guys and the retail guys. Now you have the oil and gas companies getting into renewables. Hmm, okay, they're coming into generation, so they're in our turf. You didn't have Tesla. You know, is Tesla a car company or an energy company? Um, and everything in between. Um, so it, it, it is fascinating to see the way technology is disrupting the industry. But I do think there's a, there's, there is a bit of technology fatigue as well. You know, mm -hmm. there's there's too much of it. And to be quite honest, there's there's too much hype around some technologies. Uh, and people are, are, are kind of getting sick of it. Uh, you know, look at, you can't open a, uh, a utility book today without someone or ads everywhere for we've got ai um you know ai means lots of things to lots of people so people are getting a bit there's a bit of fatigue getting in as well i think absolutely and you couldn't really blame them to be honest i think that every year seems to want to have its sort of trendy topic you know last year i think everybody was expecting to see sort of virtual and augmented reality being used everywhere you know by the end of by the end of 2018 um, you know, as, as you say, AI is, is the one that, uh, that everybody seems to be focusing on now. That's not to say that there won't, there aren't, and there won't, you know, later be some tangible applications for it. But, um, no, I, I can totally take your point that people might be a little bit jaded, a little bit fatigued about, you know, people coming to them and sort of saying, we've got the next, you know, we've got the next big thing. You need to get this into your business as soon as possible.
No, agreed. And and if I may, just on the augmented reality and virtual reality, it's it's five or six years ago now when um, I came across companies starting to use VR where they were training firefighters for running around uh, power stations, mm-hmm. in, in, and they could put smoke into you know five feet from the floor. Now run around and find your way around. Um, and everybody sees the benefit of augmented reality in terms of, oh, imagine I can just walk in and I'm looking at an asset. It'll scan the QR code and it'll pull up all the information. Mm-hmm. Now, there are challenges around, let's say, the, the headset, the hardware. Um, there's companies like Realware who are out there today with some very good technology, but there's been a lot of other companies came and went. Intel had some headsets. And they all went away. Um, but the biggest challenge for deploying uh, augmented reality and, and especially augmented reality say out into the workforce is that you have to tie together all the back-end systems, the asset management system. Because the, the typical thing was, hey, I need to install or I, I want to get all the asset information from this asset. And the IT guy go, oh, okay, that's in six different asset management systems. We've got uh, the spare parts one. We've got the manuals one. Wh- which one would you like to connect to? So you suddenly end up doing a whole lot of back-end integration to get the front-end to work. And that slows things down dramatically. Same thing's happening with drones right now in terms of integrating the drone workflow workflow process back into the back end. Um, and that can that can generate some fatigue because they're going to go, oh, God, I have to change all the legacy systems. Oh, man, that's two years and lots of consultants. Um, yeah. So that, that kind of annoys people as well. No, I can completely understand that. I mean, so you talk about, I suppose, like that, that could be potentially, you know, one of the mistakes that people make when they're looking to implement sort of new technology. And when I say new technology, I'm kind of coming at it from, from sort of my my day-to-day, which I suppose you class as like a digital product. So you know, a, a piece of software or a, a new platform, immersive reality platform or whatever it might be. So, you know, alongside, I suppose, underestimating the amount of work that it would take to rejig some of your more legacy systems to introduce something a little bit newer. Do you see, or have you seen sort of any other mistakes being made when people are looking to implement a new solution? Oof. Um, certainly, let's say, as you say, underestimating the the impact or the, the back-end changes that are needed. Oh, we just need to tweak the asset management data schema. You know, that best of luck with that one. Um, so so that, that, that can certainly, underestimating the, um, the implications for the back-end infrastructure. I, I think another one, it's got better in the last couple of years is understanding the implications for the workforce. Mm-hmm. You know, how will work practices change? How do, how do our, um, how do our work, work processes need to change? You know, and, and simple things there would be well, we've always done it this way. And the utilities are a very regulated business. You know, mm-hmm. if the lights go off, they have serious questions to answer from politicians and ratepayers and, customers and that then so the culture is we never fail we can't so the concept of you know again it's kind of back to the culture with we keep the lights on and, and we test everything to death before we put anything live into production um compared to say let's say the the next generation of workers or the startup mentality where hey we'll try something if it doesn't work we'll just change it and we'll try again um well, there's two different cultures there. One is, hey, let's just try something, and if it doesn't work, we'll roll it back and we'll 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 send it out again. 
and on the other side going, we don't change anything because it, if it works, don't fix it. Um, so, so there's that battle going on and that's starting to come to the fore now in terms of people have to address it because they have to make changes to be competitive. And with things like electric vehicles being plugged in every day at the end of the grid, you know, the whole concept of decentralized resources and managing the distribution grid, they're, they can't dodge that anymore. So they have to go do it. Um, but but I, I, I think there's as many good examples of technology being rolled out successfully as there are ones that, yeah, that didn't go well. You know, I suppose the poster child, certainly in a lot of Western Europe and in, in, in the US, the rollout of smart meters, that probably won't get any prizes for rollout of the year anytime no. soon. No, definitely um, and, and, and yet, if you look at the work that's being done in automating substations, which is not exactly the most sexy topic and doesn't make a lot of the headlines, but all the utilities have automated most of their substations across the globe and they're all working and the lights stayed on. Very true, very true. It's, it's the typical thing about sort of what makes the headlines and what makes people click links, isn't it? You know, it's like you never hear about, you know, you never hear about the 99.9% of, of things that went well in that day. You always hear about the, the negative things because that's what kind of gets people gets people talking, gets people, as I say, clicking links and, you know, oh, smart meters are delayed again or, oh, you know, it's, someone's yeah, got they're, a very... they're spying on my privacy as I, try, as I type this on Facebook and Twitter. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> that, exactly that. And it's an interesting point that you make about um, sort of implementing or designing or indeed developing for with the workforce in mind because... I mean, just this morning, I, I was I was in um, I was in sort of a UX workshop with a, a sort of a, a water authority that, um, that 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 Hedgehog Lab are doing some work with at the moment, and we've actually got a load of their sort of field engineers and customer service guys and people who are down, um, you know, sort of fixing blockages and managing the sort of pipe line infrastructure and things like that. And um, you know, one of the first questions that we got onto them was sort of like what what's your attitude towards technology that you use? What sort of feedback mechanisms are in place for you to let people know what is and isn't working? And they were saying that, that um, one, of the, one of the frustrations with them to sort of tie this back to, I suppose, technology fatigue as well, is that previously when solutions have been sort of decided upon at, say, board level and then introduced within the business, they've been billed as being, you know, the silver bullet, this will solve all your problems, make your life amazing. And of course, then when they come to use it, there are tweaks that could be made, but because the investment has been such, it would be sort of more laborious to then dial it back. So I think what you were saying about um, these sort of newer startup mentality guys who have an idea of like, you know, let's sort of be very user-centric, very small iterations, and if it doesn't work back, we can roll it back. It's 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 what you hear as this, you know, agile and the concept of agility now when it comes to, to deploying things. And I think that... Um, larger businesses they haven't they struggle to see this because as you say there are the stakes are very high you know if 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 you know for example if british gas if something happens with them and you know a million homes end up without power that's really bad for them whereas if you're a smaller company and you have a let's say a less advanced stack or a smaller customer base you're able to be a bit more well again to use the word agile in, in how you deal with things no i, I agreed um, you know, one of the one of the biggest eye openers for me in, in my career was back with Intel when we'd have some new technologies. Intel had a 
a huge Intel Labs organization. And as part of that, they had 30 or 40 anthropologists and social scientists on staff. So you'd you'd go out in a workshop to, to, to the people, like you say, like field workers, yeah. the guys who actually do real work. And you'd give them the latest technology and just watch them. The, 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 the kind of anthropologists would stalk them for a week or whatever right? <laughs> and, and just see how they used it. And then they'd come back with reports saying, yeah, they can't use it because of whatever. And all the engineers would freak out going, what? Are they stupid? This is brilliant. But unless it makes sense to the people who do the, the work on the ground, and as you say, you know, if you would tweak this, it would be much better. Um, it, it, the stuff that you guys are doing and, and, and more companies are doing that. You'll see a lot of focus groups and a lot of the utilities involve their, you know, their workers in we're thinking of doing this. It's, it's not that much. There's less of the, it's decided by the CEO and congratulations. We're all getting augmented reality tomorrow. Yeah. Um, that, that doesn't happen. The, the other thing that's changing the paradigm as well, and it's kind of happening under the covers and, and the energy industry nor anybody can stop it. And what I mean by that is, you know, years ago, everybody had their own data center. Mm-hmm. And four or five years ago, when I was out and about talking about cloud, I had a lot of people going, ah, Kev, dream on, over my dead body, we'll never put anything in the cloud. You know, got any utility on the planet today, and, you know, they may not have their SCADA system in the cloud, but they'll have a lot of other stuff in the cloud, mm-hmm. um, simply because the cost model. The other thing was that, well, I'll never update my software. Well, I, I, I locked down the, the laptop build and we change it every six months. And if you want a new piece of software, well, you have to wait six months. Even the Microsoft update model, and look at the way we update apps on the phones, has completely changed. You, know, you get a new update every day. Yep. Um, so so the ability for, for organizations that if, if a worker goes, hey, come here, I, I've got this AR thing on my phone so I can actually find cables in the ground, but can you change this to do whatever? Yeah, in, 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 in an app development world today you could change that and roll it out to them in 24 hours or you know depending on what it is yeah. um so 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 that that has changed the way technology gets deployed in a big way um and again that's kind of all happened i don't know how to say it. it's, it's just the way it is now yeah. uh, as opposed to well you have to wait for 12 months for the, the next software update which just became completely irrational in today's world well because so much can change Within you know within within those six months you know oh like, yeah it's, it's, you know but the, that was that was the IT industry you know there was a big upgrade of the operating system every three or four years and you bought new computers every two years and mm-hmm. the world was a happy place um, it's, it's all changed <laughs> it was a simpler time um, yeah I, I you know I I think that it's just a case of like people we know so much more now so you know and tech, as you you know the technology that we use has become so much more intuitive. And so, you know, there's no reason for, you know, a field worker at a utility or, or you know, really anybody to not expect the same level of technological sophistication and ease that they get, you know, with Facebook, Instagram, YouTube or whatever. You know, if you use a, a mobile platform at your work, you have this expectation from good user experience that apps just work and it can become you know very frustrating and demoralizing when the thing that you rely on to do your job is not quote unquote fit for purpose you know it, um, it, uh, an anecdote i was i was with a focus group in the us about in the, uh, a year ago or something and somebody was that they were about augmented reality and the, the concept was that hey look with all the stuff that google and apple are doing around augmented reality in the core uh, OS of the phones, 
and more and more consumer apps are coming in with AR. One guy was asking, he said, I can walk into my local furniture store. I can take a picture of the, the new sofa and I can then go home and I can start pretending I'm putting the sofa in the living room and see where it fits and will it fit in the door? Why can't I do that with the putting a piece of equipment into a substation so I can figure out if it fits in the door? Mm-hmm. And you're like, fair enough. Because, and, and as I, I think as more and more of, to your point, they become mainstream in our, in our, in our daily, you know, we just, hey, if Tesco or Auchan or whoever have this kind of technology for doing the supermarket shopping, why can't I have it for my day job? Um, and I do think that's, that's becoming pervasive and, 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 and people are saying, hey, I can do this at home. Why can't I do it for my job? It would be so much handier. Absolutely, uh, well, and we're certainly seeing it in the way that um, businesses interact with their with their customers. You know, people are being given, you know, an increasingly diverse options when it comes to like customer communication. You know, you want to tweet in. We're on Facebook Messenger. Get us on WhatsApp. Here's yep. an Alexa skill to submit uh, meter readings and request an engineer and find out about when maintenance work is going to be finished and everything like that. And so. You know, one could extrapolate that other features and functionality that are commonplace in our everyday lives will become more commonplace in our working lives. I mean, I think that, you know, as somebody who works in technology and, and you know, I, I, I feel that we're, we're quite lucky in the sense that we're on the cutting edge of it, really. No, I agreed. The, the one thing I would say, one of the, the biggest challenges for, for utilities and for any industry right now is that, if you look at the amount of, let's say, technologies that are coming down the path, and whether that's in digital or chemistry or materials or whatever, and you look at the the amount of things you could go do and the amount of things you can do because of your resources and budget and time, they can't do everything. So they have to make some trade-offs. So yeah. it's like, if I go with augmented reality and I have to do all the back end, but I also have to get ready for all the electric vehicles being deployed and I have to do a lot more say around voice assistance for engage, engaging with the customers I, I, I can't do them all I gotta pick a couple um, so so I do think we'll see you know different different utilities will pick different topics whatever is best for what they decide is best for their business um, and I think that's back to kind of the, the, the technology fatigue thing it's like there's so much we could do but I only got resources or I haven't got the skills I, I need to go hire guys for AI or machine learning or something um, that's that's a challenge you know yeah. which one do you pick no absolutely and you know from 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 experience I can say that it's it's about getting you know, if you don't have I'm sure if you don't have them internally it's you know it's, it's about finding the the external resource the people with the with the capacity and the ability to sort of come into your business and you know get you really opened up about what your priorities are what your challenges are and then sort of using that experience that these other people have to sort of accumulate this knowledge you know i mean i think it's it's very much a case of you know and, and you'll hear i, I hear guys in, in the utility industry or in the energy industry talking about it all the time in that you know they want to know what's happening in financial they want to know what's happening in automotive they want to know what's happening yep. in in retail because you know ultimately challenges and opportunities are going to be pretty much uniform across industries it's just a, it's just a case of how you implement them exactly you know in the energy world in the past whatever 18 months blockchain has been a huge hype to 
be quite honest. Yeah. Now, I, I'm a big believer in blockchain as a as an architecture, and it's it's here to stay, right? It's part of Web3.0, and if you're a software developer today, if you don't understand about blockchain, then whatever, best of luck to you. <laughs> um, but, it, but if you look at blockchain being used in the energy sector today, it's in trading platforms. Yeah. Because the trading software is the same software that they use in banks, and you know you could be trading washing machines. Um, but that's where blockchain is being used in anger today by most a lot of utility or a lot of trading companies. Um, and obviously, there's lots of work going on on blockchain for security in terms of can I trust the data coming from this device and mm-hmm. the whole let's say the future world of peer to peer, which is a good bit away yet. But but you know, again, it's it's. It's not one size fits all, and, and companies they just have to sit down and go, well, what are the, the key issues we have for 2019 and beyond, and how do we prioritize stuff? We we just can't do it all. We don't have the people, we don't have the money, we we can't afford that level of too many things in the air at the same time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you brought up blockchain because um, I know in a, in a previous conversation we talked about it, and I think that for me, blockchain kind of feeds into two of the things that people who listen to this podcast all the time will hear me going on about all this well, continuously, is sort of blockchain, I feel, is going to be a great facilitator of kind of home energy storage, which I'm a big, big fan of. And then something that dovetails really nicely with that is sort of the storage on wheels element of of electric vehicles. And um, I had a chat with the guys from Solo Energy um, before Christmas, and they were talking about their, their it was virtual power plant or digital power plant, one of the two. Um, and uh-huh. sort of, event, you know, eventually you're going to have this, you know, you're going to have this scenario where uh, residences are generating a surplus of energy. And so they could potentially be able to trade energy peer to peer, as you alluded to earlier. I mean, do, do you think that's, is that, is that, do you think that's going to be the sort of the defining case study for blockchain, do you think? Or, or? It, 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 it could be. Um, so let me answer it that way. I honestly believe that what you mentioned, you know, call it a, a, a the grid will probably evolve into a grid of grids. Mm-hmm. And whether you call it microgrids or community grids or our street or whatever, it, there's no way you could manage the complexity of everything connected at a, a, a EU wide level down to your toaster at every house in the in the in the place. It's just It'd be impractical. Communications would be, you know, imagine the amount of data flying around. So I do think we'll get into the concept of, call it a local grid or a microgrid, and they kind of, they become self-sufficient. You've got 10, 10 electric vehicles in your village, and there's seven fellas with solar panels, and there's a couple of people with a wind turbine, whatever, right? And and it will manage itself. Um, so, that, so that whole peer-to-peer energy whether it's a co-op or I, I i'm selling it to granny down the road mm-hmm. or i'm i'm buying energy for you because i want to play the latest computer game i'm playing fortnite all night and i need lots of energy <laughs> um whatever right I, I i honestly believe that's where it's going i do believe blockchain has the has the opportunity to be the let's say the the software architecture that enables that you know in a different way than if I was writing that 10 years ago, you'd be talking about a three-tier database or a three-tier system and a database at the back end and, you know, the, whatever, the traditional ERP type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so blockchain has the ability to, to, to completely have a new architecture for this kind of stuff. And it's trusted and, 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 and. What I, what I do say to people and, and a couple of events in the next couple of months and whatever is around blockchain is that 
I, I honestly believe in blockchain. I, I, I think it is a new architecture. We're only starting to, you know, what do you call it, 2.0 or, for, you know, it's, it's, it's maturing and there's lots of different paradigms out there, whether it's, you know, the, the proof of work thing has probably done its course. So you have proof of stake and proof of authority and yeah. private and public. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's all evolving. But the one thing I, that, that you have to, from a, again, back to kind of the realism is that blockchain has yet to prove that if I install a blockchain system, because remember it's, it's, it's software, right? So I have to install software on devices and it has to, there has to be somebody or some mechanism for doing the consensus. Nobody's proven the cost of that yet, simply because they don't exist or, you know, it's all pilots, apart mm. from Bitcoin. And that's proof of work. And we all know where that kind of led with the energy consumption and stuff. Um, so there's some challenges there. But I, I honestly do believe blockchain is one of the key enablers that has the opportunity for making that peer to peer. And I do think I could be selling the electricity to my neighbors and, and it'll all happen through smart contract and smart contract is software. It's a bot, right? It'll just run. Uh, and I could I could walk in and say, hey, Alexa, what do you call it? Uh, maximize my energy. I, I'm going out for the weekend, sell it to the locals. And it goes off and whatever, creates a smart contract and does it. I honestly believe that's what's going to happen. What I don't think will happen is I'll be selling my electricity. I live in France. You're living in the UK, regardless of Brexit. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, that, that I'll be selling my electricity to you across the grid. That, that I, 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 I think that's a level of complexity that that's not going to happen, even though... The whole energy union from the EU is is aimed at that that we would have a transparent market right across the the um, the, the European Union. But I, I do think it'll be I'll sell it locally, and then my my little local grid will go to the next village, and the next village will go to the DSO, and the DSO will go to the TSO, and you know it'll be it'll be a network of networks. Does I'd that be, make sense? Yeah, no, I, I understand. I'd be I'd be inclined to agree. I think that perhaps it'll. I think, you know, it might be a bit cheesy, but I think in a way it'll kind of almost like reinforce the idea of a community as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, and in fairness, if you look at the way you can, you know, with, there's various different, let's say, blockchain platforms. So you've the, the, the Energy Web Foundation, you've got what Hyperledger are up to, there's a bunch of other ones out there. Um, if you look at what some of them are doing, Tezos with, with, with smart contracts, et cetera, you know, the smart contracts piece of software, it's an automated rule that'll run. Um, combine that technology with, with, with your voice assistants, smart speakers, mm -hmm. maybe, 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 you know, maybe these, maybe this is what will open up the, what we call the, the smart home and, and, and actual energy, man, I can talk to the thing, maximize my energy use or maximize my energy consumption or mm -hmm. whatever, as you said, you know, take them energy out of the car when I come home and or charge it at night when it's cheap um, and you go to sleep and it's done in the morning. Um, we, that, that could be a huge dynamic change in, in the industry over the next couple of years. And then CES this week was, it was all about smart speakers and voices. And you mentioned earlier about the, some of the utilities already have uh, apps for Alexa and stuff for mm -hmm. reading the energy bills and stuff, you know, yeah. it's, it's all happening. So when I, I do think energy or utilities get a, a hard rap sometimes. Oh, they never do anything innovative. They're doing more now than they've ever done. Um, mm -hmm. But they, they don't get the credit for it sometimes. Very true. Very true. Kevin, I could um, I, honestly, I could talk to you about this all day, but I appreciate that, um, that you've got things to do as well. So 
But finally, before you leave us, um, do you have, or perhaps we've already covered it, but do you have a sort of a big bet for the technology um, or say digital technology or, or innovative concept that's going to storm the industry in 2019? Oof. If I knew the answer to that, I'd, I'd be making billions. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do believe that there's been, you know, we've been talking about decentralized grid and compute at the edge and all this cool stuff. And a lot of good stuff has been done digitization of substations and, and, and I think the big drivers this year are people are going off buying electric vehicles and plugging them in yep. our entire bus fleets and cities are being changed to electric vehicles so the utilities have to react they, they can't wait that it's it's being oh god there's, there's 10 more plugged in on that feeder line last night they have to do that so electric vehicles being plugged in are, are changing the priorities and the dynamics and you know there's a hell of a lot of technology has to be put in there to balance the grid frequency stabilization so the whole concept of energy storage um now whether that's lithium-ion batteries is debatable or but there's you know all the stuff going on with bromine and flow batteries and ultra capacitors uh, you know again huge amount of technology coming at there so i think electric vehicles and energy storage being deployed in the grid that that's just a, a given and they have to react and that's that's where a lot of money is being spent and I, I do think the the whole uh, as an uh, an out there the whole concept of smart speakers and voice assistants. Um, now, granted, there's the whole privacy thing about Google or Alexa or whatever Siri listen to you all the time. It's always listening. Um, but once we get past that, I, I I do think we'll see a lot more apps and engagement through smart speakers over the next twelve months. That'll be interesting. I yeah, I compl I do completely agree with that. I think that we will definitely see sort of a blurring of the lines if you like between the concept of the smart home and the like utilities i think that they will probably look to become um sort of a little bit more synonymous um with one another because it just it just stands to reason that you know if you have if you are already present in somebody's home as the supplier of their energy if there are other elements of the home that you can sort of diversify into offering you know i you stand a good chance of being the one that people people go for no agreed and you know it's supposed to personal opinion the smart home battle is over you're either in amazon apple or google home absolutely absolutely i mean my, and, and yeah no the, the ecosystems around them they're 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 there already definitely definitely it's uh i you know it's uh, it's, a, it's it's a fascinating time i'm just I'm, I'm very excited to see what happens over the next certainly over the next 12 months and then into kind of the, the next few years Agreed. Interesting times. Absolutely. Never a dull moment. No, absolutely not. It's a good. Uh, it's a good. It's a good sector to be in. Kevin, I've really enjoyed speaking with you today. Thank you very much for your time. Um, for if people want to get a hold of you, get more of your content and stuff like that, what's the best way for them to do that? The, the easiest way you can track me down on Twitter at uh, Kevin underscore O'Donovan and on LinkedIn Kevin O'Donovan. Perfect. Well, listen, thank you very much. I'm going to hope we speak again very soon and um, I'm hoping to hopefully we'll bump into one another at a few events around uh, around Europe. I'm sure we will. Thank you very much, Ben. My pleasure, Kevin. I'll speak to you again soon. Take care. Cheers now. Bye bye. Okay, so that was Kevin. I think you guys will agree that he's a really switched on guy. He knows exactly what he's talking about and um, he really can uh, can really hold court very well. I enjoyed having him on immensely. Right, 
That's it for Talking Utilities for this week, everyone. Thank you all very much for listening. If you want to hear more from me, you can follow me on Twitter at BenjaminL1ND. You can get me on LinkedIn. My name is Benjamin Lind, always open to a connect request or a direct message. And if you want to hear what's going on outside of the podcast, please keep an eye on the hashtag Talking Utilities. I will be back next week with another great guest, but until then, hope everyone's well and do take care. Thank you.